the analogy for thinking about where sleep science is today is like our understanding of space travel in the 1950s. So first person in space to moonwalk was 1957, first person on the moon was 1969. So in the early 1950s, we understood rockets. And, and that's where sleep science is. We understand a lot about where our brain goes and why we sleep for physical restoration, mm -hmm. and that there is some connection that happens between the conscious brain and subconscious brain as well, and that helps with various things like uh, trans, uh, transforming short-term memories into long-term memories. But questions about lucid dreams and why we lose them, to me, the, the hypothesis that makes sense is as our brains uh, become active and become more about problem solving, which happens as we become adults, we become less and less likely to be able to sleep well um, and become less and less likely to allow that conscious subconscious mind connection to happen. This is Steve Stein and welcome to Inside Asia. That was the voice of Tony Estrella, health tech advisor, novelist, and lucid dreamer. More on that in a moment. We live in stressful times, maybe not more stressful than times of yore when our ancestors lived in fear of war, famine, or plague, but a particular form of stress brought on by always-on technology, chaotic schedules, and data overload. Our brains and our bodies can only withstand so much. And to manage that edge, the modern-day worker employs alcohol, exercise, or pills to calm the nerves and relax the body. It's problematic, and if you haven't figured it out already, what the body really needs is a mental holiday. Short of throwing away your personal technology and escaping to a remote island, there is a more practical solution, and it's available to you every day at no cost. What am I talking about? Sleep. That's right, sleep. A 2019 global sleep survey conducted by Philips, ironically one of the world's largest producers of consumer electronics, found that while most people understand the health implications of not getting enough sleep, an increasing number are suffering from a wide range of sleep-related issues. 44% of the survey's 11,000 respondents in 12 countries said sleep has dramatically worsened over the past several years. Health issues writ large are cramping the global human condition. And so it is in this episode of Inside Asia that I turn to health industry expert and investment advisor, Tony Estrella. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. Pleasure to be here. Uh, we have a lot to talk about because you have a lot of things in your life that are of interest to my listeners, I suspect. But let's start with you. A little bit about, and I ask all my guests, a little bit about how they arrived in Asia, uh, what brought them here, and, and what are the things that inspire them today? Yeah, I'm sure you know your, your share of people who uh, have lived all over the world, and you can put me into that list as well. I was uh, originally born in Mexico and raised there in Japan and in America, hence the accent. Uh, and I was living in London, uh, where my wife, who's Malaysian, uh, and I were, were staying. And when we found out that she was pregnant, uh, we decided to move closer to her home, which is uh, in Malaysia. Uh, and in the process of doing that, uh, I also got recruited by MetLife to help them start a group called Lumen Lab here in Singapore. What was that? Uh, a group called Lumen Lab here. In what Singapore. do they do? Oh, so uh, Lumen Lab was a new group, actually. So we helped, I helped start that up. And like most organizations, uh, there's always a, a call for figuring out what does innovation mean for an organization. And, and multinationals have taken the approach of creating innovation labs as one way to approach that. And Lumen Lab was uh, a group that we developed to help MetLife figure out how to move beyond insurance. Uh, I came in to help lead up the health team. 
uh, and that's based on my background and working in the healthcare industry for almost 20 plus years now. Uh, and looking at the ways to develop a cohesive health strategy for MetLife across MetLife Asia. Uh, and then looking at how to then partner and look at organizations like health tech startups and where they can fit in into providing innovative solutions for MetLife's customers. Okay, hold on. Let me break in here for a minute. At this point in the conversation, Tony and I started talking about advances in healthcare technology, how Asia is poised for a health tech revolution, and why big data is a big deal when it comes to making new solutions commercially viable. All good stuff, and make no mistake, Tony is an acute observer of health sector trends. We did a back and forth on the subject for about 20 minutes or so, then there was a shift. We left the topic of health tech behind and focused on a subject with broader healthcare implications. I could make you wait for it, but I won't. Our conversation turned to sleep, and more specifically, the topic of lucid dreaming. Don't know what it is? I'll let Tony explain. Tell us a little bit about uh, lucid dreaming, why you're interested in this, how this came about, um, and, and then we'll talk a little bit about what you've done with it. Sure. So lucid dreaming is where you not only know that you're dreaming, but you actively control yourself in your dreams. How did you find yourself vested in lucid dreaming? So I've, I've been a lucid dreamer for my whole life. And, and, and I can say that because I've experienced all these rich these uh, rich dreams and I'm able to do something with it both creatively and analytically. What does that mean all of your life? Because I want to be clear about this. We all dream, mm -hmm. but then we all wake up and we forget our dreams. But then isn't lucid dreaming kind of being able to recognize that you're dreaming so you're in an unconscious state, but yet you're conscious that you're unconscious? Would that be right? That is correct. So, yeah. so, so then how do you, how, when you say you've been doing it all your life, aren't, isn't this like a meditative practice? You have to learn and train and practice to be able to, to extract and understand the power of lucid dreaming versus are you just born with it? In other words, is this something you woke up when you were three years old and said, oh my God, I'm lucid dreaming? So you, you might be surprised to know that uh, most people have been able to lucid dream at some point in their lives. So the data is a little rough to be able to say the exact number, but you know, the, the consensus is somewhere around 60 to 70% of people have had a lucid dream experience at some point. But the surprising thing is most adults can't remember a lucid dream experience. Why, why can't adults, but I'm assuming children can? Yeah. And yes, then that's and what happens is, and this is where you move from where sleep science is today, which is there's a lot more that we want to understand, uh, and so some of this gets into hypotheses rather than what's proven. And I'll say that the the analogy for thinking about where sleep science is today is like our understanding of space travel in the 1950s. So first person in space to moonwalk was 1957. First person on the moon was 1969. So in the early 1950s, we understood rockets. And, and that's where sleep science is. We understand a lot about where our brain goes and why we sleep for physical restoration mm -hmm. and that there is some connection that happens between the conscious brain and subconscious brain as well and that helps with various things like uh, trans, uh, transforming short-term memories into long-term memories. But questions about lucid dreams and why we lose them, to me, the, the hypothesis that makes sense is as our brains uh, become active and become more about problem solving, which happens as we become adults, we become less and less likely to be able to sleep well um, and become less and less likely to allow that conscious subconscious mind connection to happen. Uh, and that's where why most adults that you speak to, if you took, I do polls around uh, rooms when I speak at conferences and I ask how many people uh, remember their dreams and it's always a minority of people. 
I've had as little as 5% of a room raise their hands to say, I remember my dreams. But you would argue this is environmental. It's the conditions of sleep that don't allow for dreaming to, if you will, pierce that veil in order to, to be realized or understood in the waking. That's true. Mm-hmm. And, and so to me, the thing that the first step that anyone should take, forget lucid dreaming for a second, is if you want to have great sleep, focus on sleep hygiene. Sleep hygiene, Explain that. Uh, sleep hygiene is where you, t- you focus on the wind-down period of every day and make sure that you give yourself at least a half an hour uh, to be able to shift your mind from problem solving. And I don't mean just work problem solving. I mean thinking about your family, thinking about paying bills, thinking about like and anything that requires your active mind. Um, shift that into something that your brain starts to unwind and relax. So that could be, for instance, yeah, that could be reading a fiction book. That can be meditating. It could be taking a warm bath, uh, painting, something that just lets your brain go into a dif- different direction than what you normally do day to day. And what you'll find is that if you practice that, and then you let your, you start recognizing that you're starting to, f- to get tired, yawning, and then transitions into into sleep in a very calm and easy way. Eventually, the, most people will start to dream again and remember their dreams. You know, it's so interesting to hear you talk about this because I, I live my life between Bali and Singapore, and when I'm in Singapore, I, I'm I feel overwhelmed with uh, maybe it's the subtle feeling of wireless uh, pulses or it's lights or it's you know uh, residual noise that's coming from industrial or from the harbor or whatever the case may be and my sleep patterns I definitely do not sleep very well here but when I'm back in Bali in this tree fort environment in the middle of the jungle you know with with little wormholes of light coming through I sleep like nobody's business and my dream state and I often thought maybe it's just because it's Bali it's Bali and energized in that way and it's a beautiful mystical place Uh, the culture thrives with mythology and story maybe I'm just in the right mind state but I think you're right I think there's a a sleep condition which is so fundamentally different between Singapore and Bali that I actually have better experiences there and I'm simply haven't uh, come to terms with that Yeah. And, you know, in your case, what you can practice to do is to try to figure out how do you capture that that experience and make it portable for yourself. Right. Right. And you can do that through certainly one, get rid of all electronics around you when you're falling asleep. Right. So even if you're in your hotel room, put them as far away from you as possible. Uh, Pull out the shade, close the shades completely. But use music, use use smell to help try to recreate what you associate with Bali. Mm. And that then becomes a little bit of your portable experience. And and of course, we're talking about something here that goes beyond just a good night's sleep. We're talking about the aspect of dream. And with dream, we're really tapping in, as Jung, you know, told us, Carl Jung spoke deeply about the importance of the unconscious in influencing our conscious lives. So it was the the source of imagination and creativity. Tell us a little bit about how lucid dreaming can uh, can empower or can fuel uh, the ability to be more creative, uh, more thoughtful, more lateral thinking. Yeah, and so you may not know this, but um, Paul McCartney wrote the song yesterday based off a lucid dream. And to me, that's an excellent example of where your creativity can go in dreaming. I thought it was LSD. Yeah, well, it could be that too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then the other side of that, though, is in the, on the analytical problem-solving side, uh, is Dmitry Mendeleev designed the periodic table through his dreams. And uh, and I, I look at those two as the extremes where no explain that I'm not going to let you just pass up. That's fascinating. Like what do you mean? What he 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 dreamed the, the tables. He he actually saw it in his mind's eye. Woke up and wrote it down. 
Yes. And so you might be familiar with uh, Matthew Walker and his uh, book, Why We Sleep. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he goes into in the book is when you're sleeping and you have this good connection between your subconscious mind and conscious mind, um, what's happening in your brain is it's starting to create longer term connections. Hence the reason from short term memory to long term memory. And think of it this way. In your waking mind, if you're problem solving, you want to go, if you're doing linear problem solving, you go to A to B, B to C, C to D, D to E. In your sleep, you can might, if for, for some people, you might just be able to go from A to E. And that's what happened to Dimitri Mendeleev, is he had all these complex things that he was trying to solve. And uh, there's no way to prove this, but he probably had some pretty reasonable sleep hygiene, was able to go to sleep and let his brain really start working through this, and then woke up with the answer. He didn't have to work through the complexities of how to get to the answer. It, it, it almost you know, cuts against the grain of our understanding of genius, where people staying up all hours of the night, you know, working on formulas, you know, the Einstein pulling his hair out, trying to figure out what pacing the floor. You, know, you, you don't have this impression that, that the creative moments occur after a good night's sleep. You have the impression it's good, gritty, hard work in order to drive through and get to the answer. But you're saying no. Yeah, I'm definitely saying no. There's a couple of examples that I'll give you. I'll say for myself, um, I've had many, many good problem-solving dreams that have helped me work through some challenging issues. And it's also how I've become a fiction writer, uh, which I know we'll get into in a little bit more here. And, and fiction writing is that combination of creativity and analytical thinking. Uh, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein based off of her lucid dreams. Uh, and if my book would have become as wildly popular as that, I'd be extremely happy. But, you know, that is one example. Uh, people like Jeff Bezos uh, really focus on getting the good eight hours of sleep a night. Um, and it's not only because of the restorative elements of sleep. It's because when you do this regularly, there is something that happens with your brain and your mind to not just be fresh in the morning, but to work through some of the challenges that are, that are keeping you, or, uh, keeping you work concerned. Is there a link between the practice of meditation and lucid dreaming? There is. Um, so in Tibetan Buddhism, uh, there are six stages of enlightenment. And as I've, come, I've come to learn this. I'm not a Buddhist by, by training. But you know, one of the things that fascinated me is that if you simplistically look at the first two stages, the first stage is lucid dream on command. Uh, and then the second is meditate while lucid dreaming. And think about that for one second. Wow, right? it's almost like, you know, it's like three-dimensional chess. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And so what, what you accomplish in meditation and mindfulness and really being able to connect your, with your subconscious is also what's happening in lucid dreaming. And some people will say that there are states called waking dreams and, and lucid dreams are like your sleeping dreams, but both can accomplish the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but it, it requires training. I'll give you another analogy here is, you know, if you look at people who are active lucid dreamers, Think of them like ultramarathoners. Mm. You know, you're not, you're not going to just go out tomorrow and run not just a marathon, but more than a marathon. Um, people who occasionally lucid dream but dream really well are in that spectrum of people who run marathons, you know, both recreational to elite. And then keep, keep going in that analogy. People who run 5 and 10Ks are like the equivalent of people who dream occasionally, maybe get good sleep, maybe not great sleep. And if you don't get great sleep, you're like someone who doesn't work out. But it sounds like it's not just good sleep patterns and good sleep hygiene, as you point out. There's a practice here, which is um, as you come out of sleep, is being able to uh, retain, record, and even work with work with a dream. So you let the imagination then, to some degree, take over, I suspect. 
Yeah, so I'll tell you what I do is yeah, please. Uh, yeah, there's there's two parts to that, to, which is one is how do you remember your dreams? And so what I've learned over the years for myself is that uh, dream journaling is a really important tool, and I just have learned how to type with my eyes closed. So the minute I wake up, I like go out of my room, grab a device that I can type with, and I just start typing free flow. So you actually get out of bed. It's not like you're reaching next to your you 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 physically can move from one location to the next, retain it, and get it down. Yeah, I, and I've learned how to do that, and yeah. I'll explain why in a second. Yeah. And then when I free, free flow and write, I will write anywhere from a few sentences to 10 pages. Based on what you've dreamed or what the dream is elicited in order for you to let the imagination then run wild? Uh, I focus on what I dreamt because mm-hmm. I can always interpret and analyze later, but I really want to capture as much as I can about what happened in that in those moments in my in my mind. So, so it's like striking oil, and when that thing gushes, you got to be able to cap it fast. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And, and the second aspect is how do you actually remember your dream? Um, there's a part of our brain that's actually meant to erase our minds, which is why we all forget our dreams, right? So five seconds after waking up, the average person will be like, that was amazing. And then 30 seconds later, you start forgetting most of it. And like five minutes later, it's gone. That feels like God's cruel, you know, ploy. Why would he do that to us? <laughs> so I have a theory, and it's part of my fiction book, which you'll have to read, and then we can talk about that. Yeah. So um, we can't talk about it now. <laughs> no. I'm halfway through your book. Is that not good enough? Yeah. Well, I don't want to spoil it for your audience, right, but right. we could talk about it after this. And so what I've learned how to do is to train my mind that the minute I recognize I'm in a lucid dream, I will partially wake myself up and I will find something to anchor me into my dream. So it might be a a vase of red roses that's in front of me. And I will think about red roses while waking myself up. And then when I make the connection with my conscious mind, I fall back asleep. And then when I wake up at the end of the evening, first thing I think about is red roses and I'm able to basically rewind to the very moment where I thought about that in the first instance, and then I'm able to remember more of my dream. So it's like one of those tabs you put in the page of a book with the color on it to remind you where you started and where you ended. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. That's so interesting. But these are these are triggers, um, space holders, images that then, and again, symbols. That they're symbols. Does it does it have to be roses, or could it be anything? Could it be a green frog? It could be anything that was in the dream. So I don't choose it. I look around the room and figure out, or look around the setting, and then figure out what is it that I remember most, and use that as a way to help me remember. Now you use lucid dreaming and find the outlet in writing fiction. How can others? Uh, leverage lucid dreaming to their ends, whatever they may be? Is it always a creative endeavor? Or could it be simply just clarity of thought before you walk into a board meeting? Uh, Certainly clarity of thought can be one. Visualization, I think, is the main reason to do it, right? So whether you're an athlete or whether you're an executive, you know, we've all learned that uh, there's an importance to being able to visualize success. Explain that, Tony. How does that work? Yeah, so in in the waking mind, Right? You want to be able to visualize what you want, what success will look like. So let's use a Formula One driver, right? So they will visualize the track, they will memorize the track and think about every turn, twist and turn before actually driving it and especially trying to optimize their speed around for a qualification lap. Um, if you're trying to walk in and give a successful presentation, you know, there is a, there's a benefit to being able to visualize all of your speaking points in advance so that when you get in and actually deliver that presentation, none of it's a surprise. Uh, and you can do both of those in your lucid dreams because remember, you're not a passenger in these dreams. You're actively controlling yourself in these dreams. Mm. Um, you can use hypnagogic images to help guide which dream you have. Mm. Um, and going back to the ultramarathoner analogy, you have a lot of 
of things you have to build the skills to be able to do this. So it's not like something you could do tomorrow, but you can build up to it. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to visualize how to do something better, you can bring it into your dream world and be and be able to then influence your ability to perform better in your waking life. You know, in our empirical, science-driven world, we think everything is solvable in a linear fashion. But it's so interesting to me that some of these new sciences are now going back to traditional ideas. I mean, going way back to Eastern ideas of medicine and healing, the dream states from the Aborigines, you know, the, the dream walk, right? Or or going into what the African or the, the American Indians, you know, they felt that there was this kind of ability to dream and then envision the future. And there's example after example of that. Dream states were powerful things all through the Old Testament, right? The, the aspects of dreams played, played large in the absence of science. Is it possible that we've actually leaned too far to the left brain and it's time for the right brain to recover some of its, uh, uh, you know, surrendered territory in this idea of kind of effectively engaging in the world? Uh, yes, is my short answer. And I'll actually broaden the answer by saying that what we should do is if we look at our overall health, and I'll extend this beyond dreaming and lucid dreaming into three things we can control, we've heard a lot about nutrition, we've heard about exercise, and I think sleep is as important, if not more important, to maintaining a healthy life. Right? A third, you spend a third of your life sleeping if you sleep the, the amount that you're supposed to, eight hours of sleep a night. Right? So making sure that you do that well uh, will help you eat better and also exercise more regularly because your all, overall health will be better. Foundation stuff. Yes, foundational. Yeah. Um, and so for me, with with lucid dreaming, you know, I mean, you mentioned my fiction book. So the book is called Comatose, and it's a fiction novel about lucid dreaming. Mm. Uh, and I actually wrote this book based off that. Uh, based I took, off your lucid dreams. Yes. Yeah. Mm. I took notes on lucid dreams, and I dreamt the plot, characters, key scenes, and most importantly, I dreamt the end. So would you feed your mind before falling asleep with kind of concepts or ideas or reading about lucid dreaming? But doesn't that clutter? I mean, is it, it, weren't you saying before that you've got to be careful what ex, what you do to exercise your brain before you actually go into a sleep pattern? Yeah. So I actually tried not to feed uh, and continue not to try to feed any particular image. I kind of let my dreams go where they are, where they're going to go. Um, in this instance, for the first book, I dreamt a lot of it, wrote as I, as I was doing it. And what I've now since done is I've since dreamt the sequel. I've dreamt a completely different fiction novel as well. I've dreamt a kid's book. So by not pre-feeding my imagination before going to sleep, it's taking me in all these different paths that's really fantastic. You know, it makes me think, I, I spent a year in Africa in a little mud hut in the middle of nowhere, no electricity, no running water, and I read, for reasons I don't understand, Russian literature. And I read War and Peace for the first time. And and I just was, I mean, you know, it's, it's a mammoth book. But because of the lack of distractions, because of the peacefulness of the place, when I read several chapters, I would go to sleep, and I literally dreamed the book. It almost like fed right into being, and it was the creative aspects. So I wasn't trying to remember facts or figures or numbers. There was no stress related to it. But I remember journaling about the imagery I had that came out of that dream state. But it was really essential that I be in an environment like that with zero distractions. In our busy, digital, you know, short-term, millibit type of world now, how do we get ourselves out of that and into a realm which allows us to, you know, create and generate these types of lucid dreams, which you clearly feel are so powerful and important? Yeah, so go back to sleep hygiene is the first thing, right? F figure out for the average person who doesn't um, sleep well, I would just prescribe 
30 minutes. Just set it in the same way you would set any other meeting up. And when that, that 30 minutes before you sleep hits, drop everything that you normally do and find something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know, declutter your room. Get rid of everything possible that does not uh, in, that does not influence good sleep. Uh, so all electronic devices out the door. Optimal sleeping temperature is 18 degrees C. So set the thermometer correctly, uh, and you know focus on being able to do the things that allow you to unwind. And for you know per people listening on your show, imagine going to your home in Bali and staying in your guest room or being in Africa, right? Because those types of things help you really unwind and relax. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not for the lucid dreaming and to be able to apply creativity, but simply to get great restorative sleep, that's a great that's an immense start. Starting point, right? We'll all be happier if everybody around us is also good sleepers. Um, and then, secondly, in terms of in, uh, how do you actually uh, get to that stage? You know, I think books, reading novels, reading nonfiction books, is something that is incredibly helpful because it, you're going on a journey. Mm. You're going on something that is not uh, defined by 30-second increments or 140 or 280 characters, right? So it's just different than your daily life. And and not movies or Netflix or anything else because there's the blue light from the screen which actually interferes with sleep, I understand. Yes, it does. And so for majority of people, that can be a bad thing. There's a minority of people, myself included, who is I'm actually okay with that. Action movies is one of the things, especially ones I've seen before. That works well for me for winding down. But I would say majority of people, that's not a good one. (laughs) Comatose, your novel, where can we find it? Uh, so it's available globally on Amazon. Uh, in the UK, it's available at uh, Waterstones and Foils and Daunt in bookstores. And I'm working with my publisher now to get it available in bookstores around the world. Yeah. Tony, it's been an absolute pleasure. You are an enigma. Uh, and I'd love to hear more about uh, you know, how your future lucid dreams you know, evolve into other great uh, artistic works. Thanks so much for taking time out. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate the invite. That was the voice of Tony Estrella, health industry expert, investment advisor, novelist, and lucid dreamer. Our discussion around sleep and dreaming left me with a few thoughts, and so it is in this week's Asia Insider Minute, that we move beyond the hygiene of sleep to ponder the importance of dreams as a catalyst to creativity. For hundreds of thousands of years, dreams played a central role. The power and importance of dreams varied from culture to culture. Some believed it was a means of communicating with the ancestors. Others felt it was a medium for spirits. Among many of the great civilizations, it was the stuff of vision. And failure to heed a dream's message could incite divine disfavor or even disaster. With the age of reason came a rethink on the importance of dreams. In some cases, dreams were discounted altogether. Then, of course, there was Sigmund Freud, who used science to explain the workings of the brain and the importance of dreams from a personal psychology point of view. Freud and Carl Jung placed stock in identifying and interpreting dreams as the underlying agents of psychological well-being and even a return path to mental wellness. While recent breakthroughs in neuroscience show that REM sleep and dream patterns contribute to good health, practitioners of lucid dreaming say we've only just begun to unlock the imaginative power of the brain. Lucid means clear, and whether navigating the realms of the unconscious while sleeping or amplifying the experience in an awake state, clearing out the digital noise to make way for deep thought has countless benefits. Novelists, mathematicians, musicians, and business leaders from all backgrounds are beginning to tap into lucid dreaming and other forms of active imagination to solve problems or answer questions blocked by the awakened ego. 
Want to learn more about lucid dreaming? Subscribe to the Inside Asia newsletter by visiting us at www.insideasiaadvisors.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage, fill in your name and email, and start receiving our weekly alert. We'll summarize for you the content of each Inside Asia episode and offer a list of articles, reports, and resources to help you learn more. We'll also direct you to related podcasts. We encourage you to listen. We thank you once again, and until next time, this is Steve Stein saying, coming from the outside on Inside Asia. Thank you.